beginning this year, you guys are in this season of studying prayer, and this helpful acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. I can't think of a better thing to start the year off studying. When we think about what it means that we are children of God, as Christians, children talk to their parents. And then even more, the Lord Jesus called his disciples friends. What, what do friends do together? Well, they, they spend time talking with one another. So thinking about prayer, it's a great way for us to start the year. Uh, and we've reached the third study here where we're thinking about Thanksgiving. I think that of the four, this might be the most overlooked. I mean, we know that we're supposed to praise God, reflect on his character, we know that we're supposed to confess our sins, and certainly we have many requests that we want to bring to him in prayer. But Thanksgiving, I mean, how important is that, or how complicated is that? I mean, somebody gives you a gift, you say thank you. That's about it, right? I mean, is, is that all there is to it? Well, as we dive into the Word, the, the Bible has so much to say to us about the importance of Thanksgiving, how it shapes who we are. Uh, how it brings God's blessing to us. So that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning, but it's worth saying as we begin that I, I don't think thanksgiving, gratitude, is something that's much celebrated in the world. I mean, it, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to find books on leadership written about. I mean, in our world, we, we focus on things like ambition, on achieving things, Focusing not on what you have, but on what you want to attain, what you want to get. The most stark quote on this is from Joseph Stalin, who said, Gratitude is a sickness suffered by dogs. Now, most people wouldn't be that harsh, but Stalin was at least consistent. His was a world of ambition. The point is to gain power and to wield power. And you don't do that through gratitude, you do it through greed. That's how much of the world functions. But you know, no matter what culture you go to, you find parents who intrinsically know that that's not how we want to raise our children, right? What, what are parents constantly trying to teach children? Say thank you. I, I have a two-year-old, I can... can uh, confess to you, I can testify to you that children don't naturally want to say thank you. So our two-year-old Abigail, she wanders around our house looking for food. Uh, she has a question she asks everybody that she runs into, what do you have for me? And she's so cute that you don't want to say no to her. Daddy, what do you have for me? And I, I always, I know what she wants, but I respond by saying, hugs and kisses, Abigail. This does not make her happy. She scrunches up her face and she says, I'm hungry. What do you have for me? Now, when I give her something and all will be well as long as I give her some food, I still have to remind her, Abigail, say thank you. Abigail, say thank you. And so with her mouth full, thank you, daddy, uh, she will say something like that. But it doesn't happen automatically. It, it's not built into us as fallen human beings to say thank you. It doesn't come naturally. And yet it is so essential for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to understand that we are to render thanks unto God. There's nothing more basic to our Christian discipleship than that. 
You and I either learn where and why and how to direct our gratitude towards God, or we're left empty with our selfishness and our greed and our ambition. So how can we be grateful people? That's what we're thinking about this morning. Uh, Welcome you to to open your copy of God's Word. Eugene has already read the text. I'm going to read it one more time so we can focus our attention on it. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Main idea of our time this morning, the discipline of giving thanks is essential to pleasing God and knowing his blessings. The discipline of giving thanks is essential to pleasing God and knowing his blessings. And we'll think about that in two points. Number one, the discipline of giving thanks. The discipline of giving thanks. And then secondly, the benefits of giving thanks. The benefits of giving thanks. So let's dive in. Number one, the discipline of giving thanks. Paul is writing here to the church in Thessalonica, in northern Greece. It's a church he founded At least he was there for several weeks at the beginning. This is his second missionary journey. We can read about it in Acts 17. Uh, When he says there, we ought always to give thanks for you, brothers, as is right. If if we didn't know the backstory, we we might think that the, the thanksgiving would be automatic. But it's worth going back and thinking about the context that he's speaking about. So consider firstly that the the people of Thessalonica ran Paul out of town after about three weeks. His preaching in the synagogue was was met with some initial good response, but then the Jews get envious, they get jealous, and they start a riot. You may remember Jason, they they can't find Paul, so they grab this guy Jason, they they throw him into jail. Uh, Paul and Silas have to be ushered out of town secretly at night for fear that they're going to get killed. And then, the people of Thessalonica are so bad that when Paul goes to Berea, a neighboring town, remember we're told about the Bereans that they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. because They at least listened to Paul and studied the scriptures to see if it was true. But the the, the burgeoning ministry there is stopped because the Thessalonians come over and again run Paul out of town. I was thinking this is why, at least in my home country of the U.S., you will find many churches named Berean Baptist Church. But I have never heard of a Thessalonian Baptist Church. Just don't name your church after these people. But the church does get started. It's just a pretty big mess from the beginning theologically. They misunderstand the the teaching that Paul gives them in the second coming of Christ. He he teaches them that the return of Christ is imminent. And that's true for us today, right? None, None of us know the time of the Lord's return. It could happen today. But the Thessalonians misunderstand this and they think, well, if the return of Christ is imminent, let's quit our jobs. And just kind of hang out and wait for it. So in 1 Thessalonians, twice he has to to, to warn the church about idleness. Tells people to get to work. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
He, he actually has to tell them to be ready to do church discipline on those who are being busybodies, gossips, and not working. So theological confusion and laziness seem to be prevalent in this church. On top of all of that, this church is just in a very precarious situation. Verse 4 here, he speaks about all your persecutions and in in the afflictions that you are enduring. He, He doesn't enumerate them there. They would have known what he meant, but it's worth noting that all means quite a lot, quite a list. The kind of opposition that Paul experienced when he was there continues to threaten the very existence of the church. So so when Paul says we ought to give thanks for you, he's not doing something that is easy. He's doing something that's difficult. And I think that context is useful for us. It's awfully tempting for you and I to apply biblical instruction when times are good and not when times are bad. I mean, we want to ask, Paul, do you really mean what you wrote at the end of 1 Thessalonians, that we are to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? All circumstances? That's really hard. That's exactly what Paul means. I don't know exactly what the last two years have been like for you as a church or have been like for you as individuals. Uh, We endured some very difficult lockdowns uh, in China in the first part of 2020. Uh, Things were actually beginning to to settle down and and go a bit better for us. Uh, When I I received a a phone call from my oncologist, I had cancer a couple years earlier. I have a funny relationship with my oncologist. Uh, We speak Chinese together, uh, but he likes to practice his English. It's just, uh, it never goes well when he decides to use English with me. So he, he calls me, and he says, hello, Mark. I said, oh, what's this going to be? And he says, are you sitting down? Which, I, it, just, it made me laugh out loud, even though it was a harbinger of bad news. Because I'm like, did, did you read that in a book somewhere, that that's what a doctor is supposed to say, are you sitting down? Well, sure enough, uh, he told me that my cancer had returned, Um, I had a a lymph node that had swollen to the the size of a lemon in in my abdomen. Um, He said that it was a a recurrence of cancer and that something needed to be done uh, immediately. We ended up having to leave Shanghai for um, emergency surgery, uh, not realizing that we would not be able to get back. So we left our apartment. It's it's a time capsule of our life a year and a half ago, Uh, still there. Now, when I think back over those events, I'll confess to you that that my first thought is not, thank you, Lord. My first thought is something like, why? Why, Lord? Why in the midst of all that was good, all the fruitfulness in ministry, would, would you pull us out of that context? Would you point us in a different direction? Thanksgiving is not something that wells up immediately in me. I've got to do hard work to get to the place of Thanksgiving. And I think that that's true for all of us, isn't it? I mean, if you're sitting here and and things are going pretty well for you in life right now, maybe, maybe you think this is academic, maybe you think this is easy. But if you're in a place of great difficulty, of great loneliness, of great struggle, 
Well, then you and I have some work to do, and and we need some help. How do we give thanks in all circumstances? I, I want us to notice three lessons in the text. Number one, Paul teaches us that we need to pinpoint the blessings of the moment. Pinpoint the blessings of the moment. Look at how Paul does this. He says, your faith is growing abundantly. He looks at the reality of the Thessalonians clinging to faith in Christ amidst persecutions and afflictions, and he sees them growing like weeds. They may not have even been able to see this, but Paul can see it. I think growing faith, it's this precious thing that's easy to overlook, isn't it? We're in a difficult time. We're going to need the right values. We're going to need the right glasses on to to see growing faith as the precious thing. A different value system. He, He says also that the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So amidst opposition from the surrounding society, this church hasn't fragmented. They've drawn together. They're supporting each other. They're caring for one another. Can you see what Paul is doing here? He isn't glad that they're in afflictions. He isn't praying persecution for them. But he's pinpointed the blessings that have come in the present moment. I think there's rich application there for you and I. Because Romans 8.28 is true. All things work together for good for those who love God and were called according to His purpose. Because that is true, no matter what trial we are going through, we can trust that there's good coming about through it, whether we can see it or not. And so we have much to give thankful for. It's a wonderful song by John Newton. I don't know if you guys sing it here. It's called, I Ask the Lord. It begins with this prayer, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. And then the the song, there there are many stanzas, kind of walk through how after praying this prayer to grow, uh, the the songwriter's life falls apart. One trial after another. And it, it talks about the surprise and the confusion. Lord, I asked you to grow and then you brought all this trouble. It leads him to cry out, Lord, why is this? I trembly cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? And then God responds, Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. So even in trial, we begin by pinpointing the blessings of the moment. But secondly, notice the lesson that we need to speak of those blessings to the Lord and to others. When Paul says he thanks God for them, he he means that in prayer, he's naming the things he's thankful for about them. He's enumerating all the things he appreciates that are going on in their life, in the church, in his times of prayer. And then, as we're so used to with Paul, he doesn't just tell God, he tells other people as well. Uh, Eleven out of thirteen of Paul's epistles include lists of what he's thankful for about the church, which backs up what he says there in verse 4, that we ourselves boast about you 
in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith. He's talking about the Thessalonians to others. Now, this language of boasting sounds strange to our ears. Uh, I try again and again to teach my kids that we don't boast. We don't call attention to ourselves. My, my kids play soccer, and uh, periodically they've had soccer coaches or, or teammates that uh, want to come up with elaborate goal-scoring celebrations where you kind of uh, do a dance and, and celebrate the fact that you've scored. Uh, I tell them that if they do that sort of thing, their father's head is going to explode on the sidelines uh, we don't boast, right? That's, that's not how we behave. But the idea here of boasting is that our, our thanksgiving for what God is doing and for the fruit that is out there uh, overflows into a, a magnifying of God. It's a way of bringing Him glory. Look at how good He is. Look at all the good things that are happening. Look at how encouraging you are. You're an evidence of God's grace and His power. So this second lesson is that we've got to speak it out. We've got to speak it out to the Lord in our times of prayer. We should speak it out to others, the things that we are thankful for. Notice a third lesson here. We need to give thanks both individually and corporately. This third lesson is important because we we can apply the first two to our individual Christian lives. But notice here that that Paul is focused on what is happening corporately in the church. He's thankful for the growth that is happening out there among all of these people. Modern society, I think, is increasingly fragmented and individualistic. Those are the waters that we swim in. But but a healthy Christian is one that's a, a member of a community. He or she knows that there's great power in identifying as a part of the greater whole. Why is there power in that? Well, because a watching world is is not going to be surprised when you're thankful about something good that has happened in your life. So thankful that I got this promotion. That's not surprising to the world. But, beloved, when we're thankful for what's happening in somebody else's life, especially when we might be going through something difficult, that brings great glory to God and shines a spotlight on the gospel. So think about a single Christian who really wants to be married. Rejoicing and giving thanks for someone else who just got engaged. Think about a a Christian couple struggling with infertility giving thanks for someone else who just had a baby. That Christian who's unemployed or underemployed, giving thanks that you got a promotion. Well, that's the sort of thing that just doesn't make any sense apart from Christ. That's a spotlight on the gospel. That brings great glory to God and it brings great encouragement to us. And we realize that it's not just about us. One application here, if you're not a meaningful member of a gospel-preaching church, Christian, that's your first spiritual priority. Lock arms with the brothers and sisters here or at some other Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church and settle down and, and do your life, do your Christian life with a community of brothers and sisters. Okay, so we can see why we're calling this the discipline of giving thanks. Uh, Pinpointing blessings isn't always easy. 
Taking time to verbalizing, verbalize them to God and to others takes intentionality. And then doing this not just individually but corporately takes investment in a community. A couple thoughts on application for us just practically. Um, hopefully you have the discipline of giving thanks before meals. Encourage you to, to, to press into that a little bit. Don't just say, God, thank you for the food, amen. Think about the blessings of the past half day and enumerate those to the Lord. It doesn't have to be long, but push yourself to be thankful for what's happening around you. Fathers and heads of households, lead your families in this daily. Times of family devotion are some of the, the richest blessings that a that a father, a husband in particular, can give to his family. And not just when times are good, but when times are hard. Model giving thanks. And for all of us in our personal times with the Lord, let's take time to give thanks to Him. So at the start of this year, have you taken time to think back on the year that that has passed, on 2021? That might be a great thing to do this afternoon, is just to sit down and make a list of the things that you are thankful for from the past year. Pray those in thanksgiving to God, and then meet up with someone else and share your lists. It's a great way to develop this discipline we're talking about. So the discipline of giving thanks, but let's think about secondly the benefits of giving thanks. Uh, The Bible again and again doesn't just give us commands, doesn't just tell us what to do, but it motivates us. To do it, Christianity is a unique religion where it doesn't just matter what you do, it matters why you do it. And so we're going to think about four benefits of giving thanks. When we discipline ourselves to give thanks to the Lord, what happens in our lives? So let's think about four things. Number one, thanksgiving humbles our pride. Thanksgiving humbles our pride. We're funny people. Much of the time we feel desperate and we cry out to God for help, some situation for forgiveness. And then as soon as things start to get better, what do we do? Well, we relax in complacency and sort of a a proud self-sufficiency. You know, Paul could have looked back and thought, I'm a pretty good missionary. I mean, I persevered through difficulty to, to see this church planted in Thessalonica, even in the face of a mob. And then after planting the church, I kept the missionary band organized and sent people back and forth to help the church grow. He could have done that. That, That's not what he did. But that's what we naturally do as human beings. We pat ourselves on the back. We puff ourselves up. And that's great spiritual danger to us. As the Bible warns us, pride always goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is what led to the downfall of Satan and the other fallen angels. Pride is what led to the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And Pride will be a spiritual disaster in our lives. But when you and I give thanks, we are doing something very different. We're responding to that question that Paul asks in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? And we're answering what? Nothing. I don't have anything that I didn't receive. I I didn't make myself. I didn't raise myself. If I have any so-called natural abilities, that's just a funny 
way of saying God-given abilities. I didn't create the opportunities that came my way. We, we don't control the times in which we live. We, we're living in the 2020s instead of the 1940s. We didn't control when we live. In every way, you and I are contingent beings. Everything about us is received. So as Paul asks, why boast as if we hadn't received it all? Well, thanksgiving grounds us in this reality. It keeps us humble. We pray and we say, God, thank you that I even heard the gospel. Thank you for the the parents who taught it to me or the the friend that brought it to me. Thank thank you for the churches that I've gone to that have been faithful in, in teaching the Scriptures. Thank you for people who have invested in me, discipled me. Thank you for all the blessings that I have, the the, the country that I live in, the, the peace that I know around me, my, my health, my family, my friends, thank you for it all. It brings about a great humility in our lives. It's the first benefit. Second benefit of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving reminds us of what we have overlooked or forgotten. The danger of forgetting is always with us. It's an old song my dad used to sing, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and watch out for Mr. In-Between. But we don't tend to think about blessings when we wake up in the morning, do we? Our minds travel to the problems, the negatives, the the anxiety-producing things that are out in front of us, like flies to a light. Paul could have done that. You know, a fledgling church beset by problems. People were teaching wrong things about the second coming. They were sitting on their yang tai waiting for the return of Jesus. Now, he doesn't shy away from the problems. He's going to get there in this letter, right? But he doesn't begin that way. He calls to mind. He remembers these things that he's thankful for. I think it's important for us to see in this ACTS acronym that we're using that there is an order that's an important order. So, so adoration or praise, thinking about the character of God, precedes then looking at ourselves, seeing how we fall short of that and confessing our sins. And then with these last two, before we get to the requests that we need to make of Him, let's first stop and remember all that we have to give thanks for. That precedes and enables a right asking of God for yet more. I think one of the great tensions of the Christian life is that on the one hand, you and I are always to be looking forward. So I'm working through the book of Philippians in a a church in in Virginia and just preached that great running the race passage at the end of Philippians 3 where, where Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there is this sense in which we're supposed to forget what is behind. We're not supposed to rest on our past laurels, so it it doesn't matter in one sense if you were walking with the Lord or not 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The question is today and going forward. And even thankfully, if there are past failures, they don't lead us to despair. We We don't look back on those because today is the day of salvation and and we can trust Him moving forward. So a profound way we need to be forgetting what is behind. But in another way, the Bible is very clear, you can't forget 
what is behind. So what does Psalm 103 teach us? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. You and I are called to remember the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we're called to remember because it's so easy to forget. So easy for blessings that God has given us to become things that we take for granted. I think in in many marriages, uh, we fall into the trap of forgetting how thankful we used to be for our spouse. I mean, that's the thing about newlywed couples that that makes them so cute and annoying in some ways. But they're, they're just constantly talking about and overflowing with thankfulness for the other, thankful for the the things about their character that are attractive to them, thankful for the ways that they're spurred on by the other, so thankful for the gift that they are. But but 10 and 20 years on, it can become the case that those things we just take for granted. In many ways, a a marriage counselor just wants to take that couple and, and go back to the thankfulness that they had at first. To, have, to rekindle a freshness and a newness in the relationship. Well, brothers and sisters, that can happen on our relationship with God, can't it? It can become stale if we overlook His goodness. What do you need to call to mind this morning about the goodness and faithfulness of God to you? Have you forgotten how gracious He's been to you in Christ? Have have you forgotten the the hopelessness of being lost? Of realizing that there's no solution for your guilt? And then to look upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and to see His grace there. Have you forgotten? So that's the second benefit of thanksgiving. It, It helps us to remember things we've overlooked. Third benefit we consider here is that thanksgiving makes contentment possible. Thanksgiving makes contentment possible. We love that verse, again, from the book of Philippians where Paul talks about the secret of being content in every circumstance. But we easily forget that that secret is preceded by the call not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our requests to God. And the attached promise there is that the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So, so if you can't pray with thanksgiving, the peace of God is not standing guard around your heart and your mind in Christ. And you won't know the contentment about which Paul speaks. I was thinking about this the night before last. I was, I was laying in bed. I couldn't sleep. Uh, Lawrence's PCR test came in really fast, uh, and mine did not. Uh, Bay had told me earlier in the night, I'd asked him, I said, well, what happens if I test positive? I mean, am I just going to be quarantined for my entire trip to Singapore? And, and he told me, he said, don't worry about that. You just, you just trust the Lord and keep going for it. I know that's the right advice, okay? But I'm laying in bed, and I, I just can't stop thinking about it. I'm just, why is it not coming in? Lawrence just came in. Where, where, what is it? And I was thinking about preaching this the next day, and I thought, oh, I've got to apply the sermon to myself. 
got to apply the sermon here. So I just, I just tried to start thinking of, of all the things that I still had to be thankful for, even if I lived in quarantine and then flew back. thought about how thankful I, I am for our friendship with Eugene and Claire. Thankful to this church for being willing to have us come over and, and share with you. Thankful for the way the Lord has provided for us in the unexpected events of the last two years. Thankful to be able to spend time with my son on this trip. And it really did work. It really did allow me to relax. Thanksgiving is the key to contentment, friends. We can't be content without it. Now, I want to emphasize here that that I'm not talking about mind over matter. That isn't really what we're saying here. Because we aren't denying the reality of hard things in our lives. So giving thanks in all circumstances doesn't mean denying reality. And it doesn't mean that we're thankful for bad or evil things that are happening around us. I was thinking of a couple examples of this. We, we have a really heart-rending situation that's it's kind of unfolding before us right now. Um, some, some friends that we had served with for, for years, uh, the, the husband has decided that he doesn't believe the gospel anymore. He's, he's walked away from the faith. He's walked away from his wife and his four kids. It's just an excruciating situation. I was thinking, I'm not thankful that he has done this. But in the midst of that, there are still many things I can find to be thankful for. I'm thankful for her faith. She's standing strong in the Lord. I'm thankful for some of the questions that his children are asking about the gospel in a deeper way. Thankful for the way the church has rallied around this family. So you see, I'm not thankful for that circumstance, but I am thankful in that circumstance. Another example, I was was just thinking about the the situation um, in my home country related to abortion. Uh, So eager for that uh, terrible um, support for abortion to be ended. But I am thankful in the midst of so much evil that remains that more and more people are aware, I think due to modern technology and sonograms, that, that, that the baby in the womb is a baby. There's more awareness in the U.S. of that than ever before. Thankful for more and more people who are, who are activists and trying to raise awareness and trying to change things. So again, not thankful for the evil, but thankful in the midst of it for what God is doing. You see the difference? So Thanksgiving makes us humble, reminds us of the goodness of God, makes contentment possible. Let's consider fourth and finally that Thanksgiving displays what we believe. Thanksgiving displays what we believe. This is the thing that struck me most as I dove into this topic. While we might view giving thanks as a peripheral sort of thing, the Bible doesn't. It sees it as central. So in Romans chapter 1, When Paul starts laying out the charge that the unbelieving world is under the wrath of God, because although his power and his divine nature have been clearly displayed through what has been made, so that people are without excuse, the unbelieving world doesn't acknowledge it. And then Paul describes them in this way, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give. Thanks to Him. 
Think about that. That's the description of the unbelieving world. They didn't honor Him as God. They didn't glorify Him. And they didn't give thanks. It's right there at the center. It's the heart of unbelief. Jesus taught the same truth. Remember the ten lepers that He healed? These ten men have this horrible disease. The sores that are covering their body, their skin is falling off. They're ostracized from society in great pain, awaiting an early death. They cry out to Jesus for mercy. He tells them, go go show yourselves to the priest. And as they're on the way, as they're walking, all of a sudden they realize their skin is restored. I mean, can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the relief? And yet, how many of them come back to Jesus, fall at His feet, and say, thank you? Just one. Just one. He, he, he turns to that one. And what does he say? Your faith has made you well. And he doesn't mean they're physically well. He means your faith has saved you. You see, in that one, the, the, the faith that's expressed in thanksgiving is that which indicates He's a true believer. The other nine, I think, are like so many caught up in the prosperity gospel movement of today. They don't realize they're only viewing God as a means to getting what they want on this earth. That isn't what it means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who realizes that they're doubly indebted to God. First, by creation, we owe our very existence to Him. Second, by redemption. Every one of us has turned away from God to ourselves. Every one of us has violated His perfect standard of righteousness. It's left hopelessly and helplessly alienated from God and awaiting His judgment. But God, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. He sent His Son to live the life that you and I should have lived, a life of perfect obedience to God, perfect thankfulness to God. Then He died on a cross, a death that we deserve to die. So that if any of us will, will turn from our sins and trust in Him, this beautiful transfer takes place where His righteousness, His perfect record is transferred to to us through faith. And our sin is transferred to Him where He pays for it on the cross. We're pardoned through nothing but sheer grace by believing this good news. You know, if you're here this morning and you've never believed that good news you still have something to be thankful for. You can be thankful that you've heard the message. Whether you've been coming to church for years and you've never truly believed, or this is the first time that you've heard the message, you can still be thankful that you've heard this good news. Now, don't take it and put it in your back pocket as as something to deal with later. Decide that you're going to be like that one leper that you're going to grab a hold of it 
by faith and come to the feet of the Lord and say, thank you. Thank you for offering me salvation. I'll take it by faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, for us, gratitude is the natural response what we believed. And it clarifies what we believe about God, what we believe about this gospel. It, it displays our living faith in the gospel. So discipline yourselves to give thanks. Motivated by, by all these blessings that we've talked about, all these benefits, but most of all, motivated by love for the Lord who so loved you. Let's be people who give thanks but I think there's a final consideration for us this morning. As I was laying in bed again the night before last, not sleeping, just reading through some different verses on thankfulness and thanksgiving, I came across one that I'd never really thought about before. It's not an obscure verse. In fact, we read it every time we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. In the gospel accounts, he does the same thing before he takes the cup. He, he gives thanks. Now, we might rightly assume that before a meal and the Last Supper was a meal, it, was, it would be Jewish custom to, to give thanks to God for their food and drink, much as we do oftentimes. But I was struck with the question, for what was Jesus giving thanks at the Lord's Supper, the night he was betrayed? Food and drink is of no use to a man who's about to die. And when you and I give thanks at the Lord's Supper, we're giving thanks for what Jesus did for us. But what was Jesus thanking the Father for? I have no other answer than to say, as Hebrews 12 does, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus has to have been giving thanks for the opportunity to obey the Father and accomplish salvation for you and for me. Think about that. Think about the, the, the life of thankfulness that the Lord Jesus lived out of love for you and I. Well, beloved, what kind of a life should you live? What kind of a life should I live as one who follows so great a Savior? He was thankful. We should be thankful. Let's pray together. Our Father, you've been so good to us in Christ. We do thank you for all the blessings that have come to us in life and eternity through the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would allow us now to live lives of gratitude to you. For we pray in Jesus' name.